Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm Jake Smith. I'm the director of the Sound Arts and Industries program here at Northwestern. Uh, And we're really excited in the Sound Arts and Industries program about this event. One reason is, you know, one of the key ideas with our program is it's Sound Arts and Industries plural. So it's, it's about kind of putting sound at the center, but then having various exciting new industries, platforms, uh, where sound work and audio might live, bringing those things together, bringing creative people together who are working in these various aspects of sound, but share sound as a central concern or interest. And I feel like tonight we kind of get two sound darts for the price of one. Very exciting. So on the one hand... We're going to hear an inside story about a terrific, very high-rated podcast. So podcasting, really dynamic, exciting area of sound work. And we'll get a kind of a snapshot, a blueprint, uh, inside story about how a, a great podcast has come together. But it's also a podcast that's about one of the most influential and fascinating careers in the history of popular music. Both of those things kind of working together end up with so much to think about if you're in kind of an audio, music, or sound-interested person. I'm talking, of course, about Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. And today, we're going to talk about that podcast with its co-founders and co-hosts, Ryan Brady and Chris Mercer. And uh, if all that wasn't enough, this podcast has all these really great ties to Northwestern. Um, and so it's a real pleasure to host this event here, Annie Mae Swift, Northwestern Campus, where in some ways it all began, I think. We'll see. So the plan is I'm going to give a very brief intro, and then we'll have a moderated discussion with our two eminent co-hosts and co-founders. Uh, I think we'll hear some clips uh, to kind of think about the show and, and, and get a, a kind of another perspective on it. And then we'll have some time for Q&A at the end. So just to say a few quick words about our co-hosts, it's a really great, great team, a great uh, complementary uh, creative relationship, I think. Truly maybe the Lennon and McCartney of Beatles podcasters. <laughs> Ryan Brady, a Northwestern graduate from the class of 2008, uh, who went on to have a really remarkable career in the music industry. Uh, working at Atlantic Records, a number of roles, including Senior Director of Digital Marketing, and currently is the president of Nice Life Recording Company. He visited my class this morning on the history of the record industry, informed us about so many interesting things about contemporary music industry, so kind of a wealth of knowledge and experience. So Ryan Brady, and the other co-host and co-founder, Chris Mercer, who got his PhD in composition from the University of California, San Diego, and teaches composition and music technology here at Northwestern. In fact, I think he is music technology here at Northwestern. Uh, If you're interested in that, Chris is the person. He's also a composer, experimental musician, songwriter. He has really fascinating work and research in the area of primate vocalization, 
spatial sound, film and TV music, pop music, and real-time signal processing. So please join me in welcoming the team behind Take It Away, Chris Mercer and Ryan Bray. And if this is being recorded, might end up being a might be a show. Away yeah. episode. Huh? Might I be think so. Yeah. So, um, how did it all begin? Where did you meet, and how did this uh, relationship begin? It was right over at Kresge, actually. Yeah. So, would have been what 2006, Six 2007, seven, yeah. something like that. And we were in a. It was composition in the virtual studio or something producing like that? Producing in the virtual producing studio. Producing in the virtual studio. I thought I, I was still teach today. You still teach that class? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. So I thought I was teaching be, it right uh, next quarter. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a record producer. Not that. And I was in Chris's class and it was some kind of composition thing where I ended up quoting this song called Cage. That's a McCartney song. And it is, it's not released. It's an unreleased thing from like 1979, like some real obscure sort of thing. I turn it in, you know, as a composition or within a composition of my own. At the end of class one day, Chris comes up to me and he's like, oh, was that Cage in that song by Paul McCartney? And I was like, yeah. And I said to him, like, how do you know what that is? And you were like, like, how do you know? Yeah, how do I know? I'm the Gen Xer here. Right. You know, come on. He's 21 years old. He knows this obscure Paul McCartney outtake. Weird guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was from that, we would just have these long conversations about music and yeah. the Beatles and music technology. And mm -hmm. I'd call you up. Massive exchange of Paul McCartney sound files. Here's all my bootlegs. Here's all my bootlegs. Yeah, yeah. And it's still, to this day, we still... We'd have these long talks just on the phone. I'd call him up. Hey, what are you doing? Ah, oh, nothing. Drinking scotch, probably, or something <laughs> like that. And we would just talk about Paul and the Beatles and music history. And yeah, that's it. That's how we met. Yeah. And, you know, we were both listening to a lot of podcasts at this one point. By 2014 or something, yeah. we were both big podcast fans in general. And Ryan was listening to James Bond? James so Bonding. There's two. It's one's James Bonding, which is uh -huh. these two guys that they just went through all of the James Bond movies. And like they talk about each of the movies, uh, nerd stuff, you know. Yeah. And there's another one called Soda Jerker on songwriting. Mm -hmm. And so it's two guys that interview like the biggest songwriters of all time. You know, you, you name it, they probably be on there. Paul's yeah. actually been on their show. Yeah. And I was like, if these guys can do it, we can do it. And it was, I felt like it was a hard sell for you for a little bit. No, 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 no. Because I was so into podcasting and I, and I, I misread wanted, that. I didn't believe it would happen. You know, I just said yes. Like, okay. Okay. You know, yeah. thinking it won't happen, but you stayed on it. I'm persistent. <laughs> yeah. So we did actually do it. I feel like I say yes to a lot of projects, assuming they won't happen. <laughs> I just keep, I'm sure. Yes. Why not? <laughs> a task master, master of sorts, <clears throat> I guess. And so, yeah, we recorded a whole season. Was it like seven or eight episodes? And it was just thinking, you know, we were already having these late night conversations. We'd already had these many long conversations on the topic. And we just thought, what if we just kind of roll tape, them, yeah. so to speak? And uh, maybe that would be a show. It turned out to be quite a bit more complicated than that. <laughs> yes. Although we have tried to retain the conversational quality of it conversational feeling of it yeah. but we're actually um doing our best to load everybody down with a ton of information mm -hmm. and still still make it sound like a chat exactly um, as yeah. casual as possible yeah so it's 2015 we, we recorded eight or nine episodes and we waited a year you know you have to 
to buy the website and get all the social media set up and like set the stage as it were. And then we we were releasing them, what, like every week or every two weeks in 2016? Yeah. Yeah, because we had a whole season banked. We do them by seasons. So we had the first, about eight episodes a season. So we had our first season already banked. So we just thought, well, we can release it fairly rapidly. Yeah. We're doing it every week, and I was like, I, we're going to run out of these because they're yeah. so – it takes a long time to make each episode. It does. So what, <laughs> what were the biggest challenges once you kind of hit on the idea, kind of getting it launched? What were the hardest things about getting it started, doing those first episodes? Oh, the recording the first episodes. <sighs> Nervousness? You know, it, you don't think you're going to be nervous talking on the phone to a friend. Yeah. But suddenly, tape's rolling. You know, I mean, you the red light's microphone on, in your you're face. recording, uh, you know, you need to uh, sound coherent. Nobody's there. It's just you. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, a room full of people still. It's nerve wracking. And then, um, or it was at first. Plus also just the friendship side of like, we're friends, but now we're doing this official thing. And now you got to work together. Yeah. Hey, where's the file, man? Yeah. Ugh, um, yeah. And then the other hard thing was just, you know, we each record our end of the conversation. So it's a phone call that happens from between Chicago and L.A. Yep. Hmm. And I record my end with a mic. He records his end with a mic. We do a little one, two, three, four, snap, snap. One, two, three, four, snap, snap. Yes, sir. Let's just line it up after the fact. Uh, if anybody has to go to the bathroom, then we have to come back and do another count off and slap. And, and you have um, to know where you were. Like, wait, what were yeah. you talking about? <laughs> I was on a roll and you, you cut me off on the thing, um, you know. And also, initially, neither of us had ever really heard ourselves talk for hours on tape. I keep saying tape. I don't know why I'm doing some kind of... Yeah, we're talking fine. about the it's 70s a lot. We never heard ourselves talk in a recording before. And you don't realize until you hear yourself talk how many uhs, ums, like, awkward pauses, so, like, you know. Yeah. So initially, it was a combination of editing all those out, which was miserable, and then constantly telling yourself, don't go um, don't go um. You know, silence is better than um. Because the more the more you screw up during the actual recording, the, the more, more work editing. it is. The more work it is later. Yeah. yeah. So we're kind of getting ourselves to the point of being not quite broadcasters, but pushing in that direction that we're kind of getting yeah. it right in one pass with minimal edits after the fact. You're talking about challenges, right? Yeah. Like when when we started, maybe four people would download each episode, something like that. You know, because we we did it to, for ourselves. You know, just something for fun and to practice the art of speaking, public speaking. And so we're hosting it on Amazon's cloud and up to a certain data level, it's free, right? But if you go past so many megabytes, whatever, it's like a dollar a megabyte or something. Yeah. So for a while it was free. And, and then as we built audience, it was all of a sudden like the bills were like 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month. And it's like, I don't want to pay for this, you know? Yeah, we're getting punished for building an audience, yeah, basically. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So we had to find a new distributor of everything and just all the social media marketing. It's a lot of, a ton of work you have to do. Yeah. You know, posting every single day, talking to people, all the admin, keeping track of the money. Right. And then in the beginning, we were like splitting it, like, hey, right. can you send me a hundred bucks, man? Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it reached a point where uh, the bills were getting to be pretty big. And, you know, these episodes take each of us, I'd say we each invest about 20 hours in an episode. Yeah, easily. If not more. 20 hours, think about that. Yeah, and that's each of us, right? So we're doing this enormous amount of work and paying for the privilege. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. How do you split up the work? Who does what? Oh, that's interesting. You want to... 
Sure. So we, we, well, I edited one episode and I'm like, I can never do this ever again. (laughs) I just, cause it's for every 10 minutes, it's at least an hour you're just spending editing out ums and likes and sliding in music. I was like, and even the edit I turned into you, you're like, this is not good enough. (laughs) I'd gotten a little territory about the edit. You're like, God, the audio, all these things. So I was like, listen, I have a lot of experience working on the sell side of music. Mm -hmm. Just let me do all the marketing. Like, let me handle the admin and the money and the... Something I know nothing about. Building the audience, buying ads and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm more sell and he's more like buy creation side. Mm-hmm. I always like to describe it by a television model. Okay. If you know the television model, Ryan's the producer yeah. by a television model. He deals with, you know, marketing, the public face of the show, sure. the budget. He deals with the money. I'm like the director of the television show. I put the camera where it goes and edit the thing together and kind of make the product. Right. And between us, we, we get it done. And we're, we both do the research. Yeah, we're both the interns. So we're co-writing. Doing the research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Editing it. And, yeah. and we have different emphases in terms of research and in terms of our role as hosts. So mm. Ryan takes the hard facts. Ryan's got the dates. Black the hard and facts. white. Yeah. Not debatable. Uh, I do a lot more music-y speculating and drawing connections between things and mm-hmm. music history and, and uh, audio. Yeah, so it breaks down very comfortably at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's good yeah. yin and yang. What's the research process like? I mean, one of the things I love about it as, you know, kind of a geeky music historian is there's, it's, you're going through, you know, song by song, track by track, this remarkable career, but also kind of stepping back and saying, well, you know, it was number two in the charts this week, here's what was number one, or Mm -hmm. comparing it to other things that are going on. So what's that research? It seems like there's so much information there. Where do you get it and what are you looking for to kind of anywhere anywhere you can find it? I mean, a lot of the the, re- the earlier records, there's books and articles. There's so much that it's like, where do we stop? But yeah. with the more recent albums, it's like, where do we start? Because you don't have whole volumes on recent McCartney albums, right? Through the early 80s, it's pretty easy to find not only material, but all kinds of connections. And enjoyable, because I love music of that era, too. And that's why you're right. saying, like, oh, what was number one in 1979? I'll oh, look it up. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, Dancing Queen was killing off uh, Back to the Egg, whatever, you know. It's interesting. And we're looking into, wherever possible, uh, the producers as well. So if there's a significant producer on that album, we're going to want to spend time making everyone know, you know, make sure everyone knows who that is, play some examples of that person. Well, people complain people- about that. We do get some complaints, complain. yeah. Yeah, because it's not 100% Paul all the time. Well, yeah, we can get into that. <laughs> yeah. Significant collaborators. If uh, Elvis Costello is working with Paul McCartney, as happened for a few years in the 80s, well, we're going to talk a good bit about Elvis Costello. Yeah. We did a whole interview with Denny Lane, you know. So we think all those significant collaborators, producers, all of those people, we, we try to cover all of that. Do you guys know who Denny Lane is? Oh, Couple, couple nods. There, that guy in the back, <laughs> handsome guy in the back, does. Okay. Founding member of Wings, Paul McCartney's band, right out of the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Worked for them for ten years, and there he was. We, where did we do that interview? We did that here. We did it over at the School of Music. Yeah. Yeah. So we had him here, and he talked for four hours. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. Four hours, almost nonstop. Well, how was we, it editing that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was two episodes. Yeah, about three and a half hours when it was right. done, and a lot of music. But, you know, he talked to us for so long because he'd never met anybody who knew <laughs> that was interested in single him. one of his, you know, we went through all of his work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he'd ever encountered that before. Yeah. Cause he seemed a little bit like, what? Are you asking me about that? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know, Denny Lane had a whole career after Wings. And it, 
up until present day, basically. So there's yeah. all these out. Al- even I had never heard of them. So we were trying to find all these records because you're going to get the guy you can't not know about the thing from like Got 1989 it. or something. Yeah. Any other um, secrets or tricks of the trade about the production side? I mean, like how is your music tech and composition hmm. background shaped how you edit or put together an episode of Take It Away? Yeah, I mean, I am a composer, and uh, at least some of the time an electroacoustic composer. So it's a bit like putting a piece together. You know, it's a collage. It's a long two-and-a-half-hour collage, but it's a collage. I try to keep it well-paced, you know, based on what I have in the conversation. If I, if I have the conversation lagging a bit, I try to put music under that or, or cut some things out so it stays snappy. So I'm always trying to control the pacing a lot in the show. And the other thing that's um, that I do that's challenging is that I'll I'll put the I'll put four different demo versions next to each other, followed by the completed song, and try to fade them into each other so you get a seamless look at how the song evolved. Mm-hmm. And that's that's time consuming stuff like that. We recently had an episode where there's an album that has nine tracks. It's like a dance music album. It has nine tracks. They're all actually the same track, just with variations. So I lined all nine of them up. And play them yeah, all back simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> we were joking about that. Like, yeah. you could line these up, and then you actually did it. I did it, so yeah. So there are, like, examples of, like, these crazy things we think. You know, by now, we've got the recording of our own voices down pretty well. That was challenging at first. Yeah, can you talk about that? What was oh, it like to kind of find your podcaster took, voice? Yeah, it, well, it took a while, and not so much the podcaster voice as the recording part, we had uh, Sunset Boulevard was oh, a yeah, problem. Oh, yeah, I was living on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., and I did, like, the first episode in the kitchen. And, like, the... Well, first of all, <sighs> if you ever been to L.A., it's just... Yeah, it was trucks all the time. And so he, you were, like, editing out. I was editing out. You're going to kill yeah. me over that. Yeah. And then I was on Sheridan Road for a while. So for a while, it was Sunset Boulevard, Sheridan Road. And it was a lot of traffic. <laughs> it's too a lot much of sirens. Noise, yeah. Over time, we figured out what rooms to record in, how close to get to the mic levels um oh, yeah, that over first time episode, just getting everything i was i was like this far away from <laughs> yeah. the mic so yeah. it was just like it was <laughs> and then you got too close you know it's like <laughs> yeah you could he sounded like he was in a different part of the house like in a cave yeah. somewhere right yeah but then yeah you, you start to figure it out yeah and there there was a point i think episode like 10 or something mm-hmm. where we'd show up phones on recording and we just do the episode almost in a take and we're done yeah but in the beginning it was like a lot of ah damn it and you'd stop and we'd talk because it just sounded stupid frankly little things that you don't realize when you're first doing it when you're just talking let's say you're, you're you're talking along and you stumble you have to go all the way back to the beginning of that sentence and say it exactly the way you did at the beginning of that sentence if you go back and say oh i'm sorry i meant to say then you can't edit that in and make it sound smooth Right. So that's the thing you have to learn while you're actually recording the show. Blah, 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 blah. I screwed up. Pause. Go back to the start of the sentence. Yeah. You know, little things like that that we just do automatically now. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, well, I just had like, but I say all those little words less, the ums and the ahs, because mm. of the pain of editing. <laughs> but me, me reminding you about yeah. the pain of editing. <laughs> Will you say that again? You know, that sounded bad. Um, the right, other cool. thing that's tricky production-wise is that the musical excerpts come from all over the place. Some of them are recent CDs that are loudness war casualties, and some of them are old uh, 80s CDs that are, you know, normal. And to get everything to sort of sound at the same level, it's actually pretty tricky Hmm. just to get the musical clips not to be one really loud, one really quiet, and also, you know, keep the conversation at a a level that's 
even with the music. I have a question. I actually would like to know. That's what's, boring stuff, man. What's the signal chain <laughs> on the master? I've never asked you that. Changes every time. Um, okay. But usually there's a compressor followed by um, an expander to turn it down when you're not talking, and then maybe some EQ to try to match the two mics a little okay. bit. Yeah. Every episode, one of us is louder, one of us is quieter. So those always Sometimes matching. Sometimes I'm really in that you, thing. Lately, you've been. Yeah, just really. Lately, you've really the been microphone. eating the mic. Yeah. Yeah. We we need to work on that. <laughs> So switching to the cell side. Yes. So How can I help you? Yeah, so hearing all this interesting stuff about kind of the production and challenges, learning curve and figuring things yeah. out. How did that work on the marketing production side? What were your initial thoughts about how this was going to fit into the podcasting world that you guys were excited? Well, I didn't think it was going to work like the way it did. Like when we put an episode out, if you type McCartney and and even when we don't have episodes out, we're usually in the same page on iTunes or Spotify as like his music. So when you search for him, we are up at the top. And I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's the quality of the, the editing or whatever it is. But I, I've also bought a lot of ads on Facebook and Instagram. It's just so simple. You just target 13 to 65 plus Paul McCartney, <laughs> USA, UK, Japan, and you just let it rip for a couple weeks. And on Facebook, if people like a post, you know, you can go into the post and invite them to like the page. And that's how we built up the Facebook page. And I actually can't, I, I found a bot on somewhere. I bought a bot for like 100 bucks, 200 bucks. You just open the window, press a button, and it will auto invite everyone that's liked a post to the page. You can let it run for a couple hours. So that's how we built that up. Then it's all, if people email us, you just, I mean, it's very simple, all this stuff. You just email them back and you're like, hey, thanks for listening. Yeah. Share the thing. Do you want to sign up for our email list? And then consistency, just always like posting on social media constantly, interacting with people when they talk to us, talk back. Yeah. It's not, it's not releasing a show science. also on a relatively regular right. schedule. Yeah. We try to do it once a month now because otherwise I think mm-hmm. any faster would kill one oh, of yeah. us. Yeah, for sure. But any slower and people start to drift away. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Were there exactly. particular moments or, or episodes or marketing things that you did where all of a sudden you saw your audience really bump up or were there kind of watershed episodes? When we did that episode on Return to Pepperland, which was not even like a real episode. So most of the episodes to that real point. <laughs> well, it's not a real album is what I mean. It's not a real album. It's not real. It's like an unreleased thing. Most of the episodes were all... 1,000 or 2,000 download count to that point. And we put that out. And for whatever reason, it was like 25,000 in like a couple weeks. And that is an episode where people comment on. They're like, oh, yeah, I discovered you because of that one. Hmm. So for whatever alchemy, it just that one went. And yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe the title because it's like it's almost like a command return to Pepperland. The numbers were big from there on out, right? Yeah. Like they never like, really returned to their earlier levels. No, it was it's always like 10, 20,000 an episode, which is crazy to think, you know? It's and, like and really a fast. Stadium, yeah. It's about <clears throat> 100 to 400 downloads every day. Like I, if I had my phone, I'd check what it's at now. It was at like 156 earlier today. It's like, it's ah, <clears throat> a lot. Yeah. And yeah. what's, what's the response from audiences like? What, how's your interaction been? Are there particular things that people seem to respond to? Or? There are different audiences in a way. We have our Facebook people. 
Yeah, um, that's true. There are different audiences depending upon the platform. We have our email people. And the email people write long emails. and uh, we, Very, we, very, very long emails. We try to respond to those. <laughs> we try. Yeah. I mean, but. Yeah. I mean, unless it's contentious or something, unless they're trying to pick a fight. Yeah. But, some and and often are. they are. Yeah. yeah. We have a very active Facebook group. Yeah. So we have yeah. the Facebook page, but then the, the new thing on Facebook are these like little groups and they're more like little clubhouses. And that's like four or five hundred people but it's very active it hmm. like it runs itself almost and we have the bigger facebook page yeah and that's like what that's three or four thousand yeah, yeah. <laughs> i have a story to tell about that which is that i was a lifelong at least the, the entire life of facebook uh facebook refuser i never went on facebook ever until we did this one episode where i i kind of criticized a popular album ryan suggested to me you, that you need to get on Facebook. You got to check this out. Because you're, you're going to need to uh, defend yourself. Yeah. So my introduction to Facebook was walking into the Take It Away Facebook page and everyone's yelling at me. And they're all angry, yeah. yeah. Yeah, everybody was mad. <laughs> and it was really out of proportion to what anything I actually said. So what was that like? I mean, what, what yeah, they um, do and it did. It was pretty exciting in a way. The really outrageous comments are so outrageous you don't care. Right. It's sort of like, well, if you're that worked up about it, then... That's not worth responding to. And then there were others that were valid responses to things I'd said that I would try to respond to. Well, I mean, that was a surprise for me. Like, I thought I was like a seven or eight or nine McCartney fan. And I feel like I'm more like a two after yeah. you talk to some of these people yeah. that are like, oh, I have 10 versions of that same song. And you know, and it's like, well, okay, man. Well, have there been other platforms besides Facebook that have been kind of key, important for the spreading Twitter. Twitter is good. Twitter's small, but it's like it's always the same people every time engage. Like it, like every every <laughs> post, you know. So, yeah. Instagram is is doing okay, but it's more like the the, the most fascinating people are the people off of social media yeah. that just find the email address and just email us and they write in. Yeah. Yeah, because we're often in over our heads on some of the some of the British references and stuff. We don't really know what we're you know, we're like, what? Nope. What is this? What? And people from England will write in and and fill us in very politely. Very politely. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, here's what that is. Most of the time, politely. <laughs> it sounds like a global audience. You were saying U.S., U.K., and Japan are those the key places? It's the oh. U.S., U.K., France, France, Germany, Australia, Switzerland, some Japan. Wherever McCartney songs are played. I think Brazil's <laughs> a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all over. I mean, no Russia. No, there's certain that there's it's zero. But yeah, it's 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 everywhere. It's it's very it's surreal in a way, where your voice is being played in a place that you have never been and may never go. People will remember specific things we said in some episode from season one or something, and yeah. we're just like, did we say that? Like we've been talking about this for what? Well, you counted it up at one point. There's like 40 hours of us talking about Paul McCartney now. I think it's over two. Yeah, it's well over two days. So if I, you just sit down and start <laughs> two or three days later. So, so I don't remember what bath. I said in episode six, you know. I don't remember any of it. I, really, I, I don't. Someone's wanting me to defend some point I made. I'm going to have to go back and review the episode. You know? Yeah, I listen to the episodes again. And I'm like, I don't even agree with what I say. <laughs> no, I always agree with myself. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> One other sell side question, advertising. How yeah. has that worked? Or how it, has it been working for Take It Away? Um, it works. I try not to spend too much money because you can really just go and go and go on those ads. I, you know, I try to cap it at 100 bucks per 
episode. Uh, various various things. It's, it's worked up to a point. I think if we wanted to grow the Facebook audience or the Instagram anymore, I'd probably have to spend more. But we still, I mean, every week there are somebody that finds the show and writes in. And is like, I just discovered you guys. I just listened to 10 episodes. This is amazing. And Isn't it? it they yeah. binge. They binge the show. What's the culture now? Yeah. They binge Netflix and yeah. Spotify. So it's, it's really flattering because I've done so much binging myself. Amazing to think about being binged. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing to think about. Too much binging I've done. Guests. So you mentioned Denny Lane. Denny twice. Denny, the second time, actually, he asked us. He's like, will you, can you interview me again? I'm going on the road. Hmm. And his, he was like, I trust you guys. Like, it was, it was fun. You actually cared about Mm -hmm. what I had to say. So that was good. It was how did you feel about the second interview? I, I thought it was... Pretty loose. He was really loose. He was really in a good mood. Yeah. And uh, he was talking, he was a lot more open about the Wings stuff than in the first... He didn't really want to talk about McCartney that much in the first interview. So he, he did the bare minimum. You know, he went along with us for the bare minimum. We didn't push it. But this time he was just freely telling us a lot of Wings and a lot of McCartney stories. Yeah. So, yeah. There was that one where I guess the lights went off in some show. I think it was Germany or something like that. Like it's a Wings show and all the power goes out. And I guess they found um, tap shoes in the back. And so Denny and Paul came out with flashlights and are doing like a tap dance routine. And like the audience went crazy. And it's True like, performers, right? It's like, I've never heard that story, you know? So you have the source right there. So Denny was great both times. Lawrence Juber, another member of Wings, the last incarnation of Wings from 79. Mm-hmm. We did a, about a two-hour episode with Lawrence. Yeah. And Lawrence is a classically trained guitarist. He's very good. And an arranger and composer. And uh, he has had a very uh, varied career doing everything from television music to, you know, producing Al Stewart and other, other interesting artists. And You guys know Al Stewart? Uh, does anybody know Al Stewart? There's some people that actually know oh, Al I'm Stewart. I'm so impressed. Hey. <laughs> anyway, he produced, uh, produced and actually heavily collaborated on some Al Stewart records. So he had a really varied career. So it was really like getting a a special kind of take on what the music industry was yeah. like during that time. Hmm. Kind of telling us what it was like to be a guitarist on a television show, for example. Yeah. He did that. One of the Home Bond. Improvement. Yeah, he Home played improvement, on Home Improvement. Right. And some of these shows, yeah. On some of the oh, and Bond, he played on Bond, Bond yeah. Movies, yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he plays on the Carly Simon, uh, Nobody Does It Better. The, the big guitar solo at the end <laughs> of that song. Yeah. Any yeah. interviewing tips or things that you learned as far mm. as that side of the show? You just have to listen. You actually yeah. have to listen to what the other person says. It's not, oh, I have this bunch of questions. I got to ask the question. Like, yeah. let the person talk. And if, if they're going in an interesting way, just follow it until it's boring and they're uncomfortable. And then yeah. ask your next question. Yeah, good interviews, conversation. And it you know, shouldn't be too, too scripted. We, you know, we did an episode with Andrew Grant Jackson. Yes. Oh, I forgot that. Who's an author. I don't remember any of this. He's an author who wrote a a book that we really like, and we did a whole episode with him on all these songs that Paul gave away to other artists, and Andrew was a wonderful guest, just so deeply That was a popular episode, too, and that was your idea. That was one of my favorites, too, that episode. That's a great one. I was very reluctant to do that that because of all the research. We were like, because I'm like, if we (sighs) miss one, some crazy person, not crazy, but some passionate person is gonna <laughs> the uh flaming pie episode that i got into trouble for we actually had soda jerker on for that yes um, oh yeah we had soda jerker on i right? they were totally you know uh the consummate professionals yeah they it are. was very fun yeah and uh luca parasi 
who is uh, an author of the definitive book on McCartney's uh, recording career that we we really admire this guy. Yeah. So we had him on. Uh, this he the was same honored. Day. We basically stole all of his work for our show. Pretty much. And he was honored to be on our show. <laughs> yeah. He was like, thank you so much. Like, I, what did he say? He's he he like, kind. you guys do really good work. Serious work. Serious yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah, we were being anointed by the master at that <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. And uh, Kid O'Toole is the other one we had on. I think that's all our guests, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Are there any guests that you wish you could have on the Paul McCartney podcast? I can't any think of any. <laughs> We're talking. Might be coming soon. Maybe. I mean, I've been going in circles with Paul's publicist for a few months, and I've even asked the publicist if they want to be on. He's like, "Oh no, no, no! I wouldn't want to do something like that. I'm going to figure it That's out." A good one. Even if I, you know, I'll, one day we'll we'll get it. I mean. It's like we're, we're very close, but oh, so far away. Yeah, we're in the office. We just yeah. haven't gotten the yes from the Nobody's boss Nobody's opening yet, that right. door. <laughs> yeah. Are there yeah. other people that, you know, uh, surprising people that you kind of wish you could talk to that you think would shed some light on the career? And- Elvis Costello. I'd talk to Elvis, sure. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's one of our favorites. It'd be good to talk to him about his work with Paul. Eric uh, Stewart, right? Eric Stewart from 10CC, from 10CC is someone we'd be interested in talking to. In the 80s. To. Yeah. yeah. Potentially other other Wings members. I'd like to get Ringo, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I really would. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it really is a matter of um, what's relevant to a given episode. A couple questions before we go to maybe hearing some clips. Okay. Some yeah. Kind of bigger, you know, your experience working on this this very successful podcast. Are there kind of key lessons that you've learned uh, from working on Take It Away? Uh, either kind of beyond podcasting in your own work or your life or things about uh, McCartney's career that you kind of have learned in a fresh way by working on this project? I think I have an appreciation for broadcasters now that it just wouldn't have dawned on me before. And I don't just mean the purely technical side, but the truly um, charismatic broadcasters. I just appreciate that now, having just sat in front of a mic and tried to make a point. And to be Those entertaining. Those guys are so good. To, yeah. to inform, but to entertain. It's also, hard. a really great broadcaster, really, they know how to work the mic. They have a voice for that. So I have some appreciation for the artistry of that now that maybe I didn't have. On my side, it's just like, you're going to get a no, and you can't listen to the no, and you have to keep being persistent. Just like even yeah. changing over from Amazon, we use a service called Pippa. And like, they're like, oh, it'll be X amount of dollars. It's like, I don't want to pay that. Give it to me for half. And like, ah, no. And it's all of that negotiation stuff because it, the, the, it stacks up all the costs. And we don't want to be under just for this, you know. So, Weren't you saying that you feel more comfortable now as a speaker after having done the show? Yeah. 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 In meetings, on phone calls, even here, it's just like, oh, yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like another episode. And so that training comes in handy all the time. Yeah. And look, there's, I mean, there's some real... There's a little nervousness in interviewing a hero like Denny Lane or, or Lawrence Juber, these people who are on the covers of albums that you were you know, looking at as a kid. It's a little nerve-wracking. You know, you're going to talk to this person. And, and make having, him feel comfortable. You know, yeah, and having been like, through that a few times, I think uh, I feel a little tougher about yeah. more able to deal with that. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you, we were talking before about how one of the interesting things about your project is that you don't get to choose how it ends. Mm. Because you're kind of following this person who's constantly releasing something new, uh, but do you think about you know other projects after Take It Away, or are you going to continue the partnership and start other kinds of podcast projects or other things afoot? We're digging it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 
TV version? <laughs> Ooh, there's an idea. We can't stay with Paul forever. We're album deep dive guys, and we're recording arts guys. And so we really want to go through the, the tracks and the albums. So we're thinking about moving on to a format that might be multiple artists, but would it still allow us to do the album deep dives? So we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. Yeah. It's unclear yet whether we do another season of McCartney, but I think it, it would be at the most a fifth season, and that would be it. Yeah, because of the show, too, uh, other podcasting people have asked, asked us on their shows, and I've done a couple guest you have, yeah. appearances on other things. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's interesting to do a different flavor. May try some more of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. We got to get through this first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we you know. do. You know, this is season four. We're a few episodes from the end. And then we make a decision about whether to do season five as more Paul or to change format. We'll see. Like pick a year and then walk through the year because the whole concept of our show is just the narrative in time. That's what we're thinking. You know, take it away the year in music, 1973. And we do eight to ten albums that we're interested in from 1973. Yeah. Some of which might be solo Beatles or Beatles related. But And I think if you do that, you lose a good chunk of the audience, right? But then you gain a whole other... Gain a broader audience. Broader audience, people, because not everybody just wants to hear two maniacs talk about Paul McCartney for three (laughs) days straight. But then there are people who only want to hear that. That is true. (laughs) Stop stop with the 10 minutes on other artists. Stay with Paul. (laughs) It was interesting to hear some of the models that you were excited about when you first started the project. Are there things happening now in podcasting that you're energized by or kind of new models or new shows or formats that you hmm. think are doing something new or interesting that you well, might? Well, Pandora just opened up their whole podcasting wing and we're meant to talk to them next week to see if they want to pick up the show. So that may mm-hmm. might add audience. Spotify did the same thing last year and like there's a rigorous application process to get in, but we got in, but it's still small. I think it's, it's like a new, it's not new. I mean, it's like 12, 13, 14 years old but it still feels new. Hmm. Things are changing all the time. I still look at red letter media on YouTube as some kind of, some kind of model for how to do this. It's not a podcast, but it, it's a similar, similar thing where yeah. they have a whole bunch of different shows under the red letter media. It's more overtly comedic than what we do, but it seems like a, a possibility, you know, possible model there mm-hmm. and for, for people who are really doing it successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I still listen to the same damn podcasts that I was listening to <laughs> a few years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I want to make sure there's time for everybody else to ask okay, questions. Yeah. But first, a few clips. Should, yeah. What would you like to share? What should we share, Ryan? I got the uh, got the list here. Some Denny Lane. The Denny Lane. The either one. Which one do you like the more? Uh, let's just play them both. Okay, so start with Denny uh, Cage, and I'll explain what this is. We had Denny in, you know, we're interested in talking to these guys about little-known songs, thinking that, oh, you're going to give us some some insight into this. But they don't remember. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just one of our favorite clips, I think, from the whole series. Yeah. This is only an excerpt. It went on a bit longer, but we're playing these songs for Denny Lane, and he's remembering them. And, and he hasn't of, heard them since 1979 since yeah. Yeah, or whatever. And he starts to sing along and remember the song. So uh, the first one is an example of that. Okay. And so is <laughs> Cage from Back to the Egg, which is a mysterious thing for us. What's that instrumental thing? Well, no, it's a full-on song. Oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> Do you want to hear that. it or not? <laughs> you got me there. 
Uh, play a bit of it, see if okay. it comes back, you never know. Just two songs you guys smashed together and then did, and then we're like, leave it off. Yeah, I'm not if there's two songs. This is the second part, guys. Song, yeah. I mean, well, again, among the people who the, the follow, you know, the, the in the know people, yeah. the big fanatics with a capital A. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's the thing I stole for his class. I, that's, that's right, yeah. That, that's a meaningful clip. And we'll do one more Denny Lane. That was from the first Denny Lane interview. This is from the second one, the recent one, and he's talking about starting Wings with Paul McCartney. Yeah, and you know, the, all of this video footage that's been included in both sets, it's really revealing. You really, between the two sets, get the evolution of the band from pretty rough beginnings to really by the 72 stuff, the live stuff on Bruce McMouse, you guys are a solid band. I mean, it's approaching Wings Over America tightness. And I don't think I actually knew that, that it sounded that good that early live. Well, you've got to remember that, that, that the whole thing about me and Paul was that we were, we were all in band, we were in bands all our life, right from when we were kids. And playing in a band is always something that you want to be doing. When you go off and do solo stuff is one thing, with session guys or whatever. But when you get back into a band situation, you, the main objective is to play to an audience and to get tight and to enjoy, you know. When, in the old days, we used to have to play to make people dance, otherwise we wouldn't get the gig. So, you, you know, you have right. to be good and to get good grooves going. And that's what happened very quickly with that band. I mean, the combination of the guys, you know, Denny was uh, and and Henry, that was just a great little back line, really. I mean, they were they had certain styles that fitted in with me and Paul. I mean, me and Paul actually came up through, you know, all the the, the 60s stuff and 50s stuff, and and we were very very similar in our musical taste and. Uh, course so we had that thing going then you got henry who comes from more of a sort of blues background and uh joe cocker band and then you got denny who was you know in the navy band he was in the navy band and he was a trained musician and also yeah you can tell from his mallet playing that he's got real training mm. and a very session guy i mean he plays on so many sessions albums you wouldn't even believe it um so he just was great and very very easy they were very easy to work with these people because they were just so good so it didn't take long to get the band in shape like that my question about bruce mcmouse i mean what was that like shooting that like where you guys are like pointing at fake cartoon mice and like what was that process <laughs> well obviously we were <laughs> there were no real mice. <laughs> i mean 
I mean, I heard the drugs are pretty good back then, man. Maybe maybe some people saw something. <laughs> the, mice, the mice were on the drugs. We were straight. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's such a casual conversation to have with, with one of your heroes. Okay, and just one more. Let's go ahead with the, uh, the ebony and ivory one, and let me introduce this. This is a, a little highlights of highlight, because it was about a 10-minute conversation and a pretty contentious one. This is a song that I think is pretty polarizing for a lot of people. I like it. Yeah. So um, I, I edited it down to like three of the best moments from this conversation. Well, that's a perfect transition into the next song, because the top discovery of this whole album for me was that Ebony and Ivory, Paul wrote as a letter to Linda when they were having a fight. Although he had heard it before, right? He had heard the expression before, Ebony and Ivory on the keyboards. It Wasn't that a Spike Milligan? Yes. I guess Paul remembered. Thought of it when he was having a fight with Linda, but it turned out to be this terrible, terrible song <laughs> that everyone hates. <laughs> Everybody but me. Pretty good music and the wrong person singing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to gong the hell out of you here. I love this song. Are you serious? Am I serious? Everybody hates this song. Well, I guess I'm the only person on the other side of the dividing line that likes fucking ebony and ivory. Yeah, I like the music. I think it's the music is good. It's Musically, it's, a, it's kind of a Barry Manilow song, musically. But it's well done. I did so much research on this song. So the, the Spike Milligan phrase, it's black notes, white notes... And you need to play the two to make harmony, folks. So this, that phrase was popularized by a guy named James Agray in the 1920s, inspiring the title of the Pan-African journal, The Keys. This phrase, they <clears throat> trace it back to the 1840s. So this goes way back. This has historical context. So then we talk some more, and then we come back. Despite the <laughs> animosity, everybody hates. I, I have never met anyone who likes this song. You're the first person I've ever talked to who likes this song. Well, I like it because I like the whole black. You know, it's like the Seinfeld. The look to the cookie, the black and white cookie. I like that. Good reference. Look to the cookie. Look to the cookie. ebony and ivory. And then well, one, I think one it's last a fine one. tune. It set a lot of records. Is it my favorite Paul McCartney song? No. Is it my favorite number one? Paul? a little bit. No. <laughs> but I think it's fine on this record. It's certainly... Do you not get why people hate it so much? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the <laughs> hey, it's the hello, goodbye thing. Up, down, left, right. I think it has fun chords, and I don't care. I guess I'm simple too, Chris. I'm just a simple man. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I just wish the album didn't end with it. How much better would it be if the album ended with rain clouds? Can't argue with that. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's, Those are our, our clips. That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Okay. Brad, do you have a microphone? So if anybody wants to... Yes, I do. ...about Flaming Pie or ask a question about podcasting or Paul McCartney <clears throat> or anything... Let's leave Flaming Pie out of it, all right? <laughs> Uh, when you're recording like the phone call with Denny Lane, like from a technical standpoint, like what do you think is the best method of getting that kind of like different sellers audio? 
Uh, what did we do on that one? With the... Um, with the first one, he was he was in person, so it was the three of us all around, and you recorded that right yeah. through yeah. whatever you yeah. use. The that one was you know Uber conference. You ever heard of that? It's just a website you can pay, I don't know, ten twenty bucks a month, and you get a phone number, and anybody can call in. But the trick with that, and maybe you can speak to the editing on that, there was that huge delay, right? There was mm-hmm. like a second or two where you're talking. And the other person's talking, but you don't know you're talking yet. So there's like a big train wreck of a phone conversation. But that's what we used, Uber conference for Denny. Plus the usual, like I'm recording my end of it with my own microphone. I think you were, you and Denny were both on the Uber call. Yeah, in the beginning, but you were using my audio, right? Or no, you weren't? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uber conference. We don't, we're not affiliated, but you should use them. But if possible, you know, we try to do it in person with, you know, like when we did the Andrew Grant Jackson and yeah, uh, Andrew, Lawrence Juber, like Ryan was with them on because his they're in California. So it's like I'm there, the engineer, getting them coffee, getting them tea, making Actually, sure they're fine. I think that second Denny and the Denny and Luca Parasi was the only time we did a telephone interview. Yeah, that's the only other one. than Ian Lee, of course. Yes. Yeah. 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 Other questions. I feel like every time I listen to a podcast, I forget that it is an edited sequence of, mm. it's not just a conversation that, yeah, you, yeah. that you start and you, and you end, I feel like it'd be impossible. But I feel like that's part of the of But that's the what the Joe and, Rogan show is, you know? They just yeah. sit there and talk for three yeah. hours. Yeah. And Mark so Maron, I'm just wondering yeah. if it's ever, if you ever find it difficult to sort of keep, keep the conversation feeling natural and authentic if you're kind of being, if you're starting conversations or sentences over again, if you're telling each other mm-hmm. that didn't sound good, can you restart or mm-hmm. are you guys just such good friends? That's we not just do it. So one of us uh, mispronounces a name or something. The other just calls him on it. Go back, say it again. Um, it's mostly Chris calling me on. I can't pronounce anything. I kind of made it sound like it went both ways. Yeah, no, I never <laughs> correct him. I, uh, Chris. Um, <laughs> I've had a few, uh, I've stepped in it a few times too. When we're in the flow, though, we yeah. we we don't say anything in the other. We just let the guy correct himself, That's and then right. we keep yeah. going. Like yeah. now, it's just it just goes. Yeah. In the beginning, it was it took for like six hours to get an hour recorded, something like mm-hmm. that. Now we we record for what, three hours, four hours, and we get an hour three or two hours, out of it. Yeah, and we get two hours. Yeah, and it's loose too. And also, do you ever use like any sort of written material in front of you, or is it the whole point is to? Yeah, kind of be yes. Spontaneous? You think I can just remember all that <laughs> stuff? No, we have a. Well, what you might not have heard in these clips is that Ryan goes through long lists, like he reads lists of you know demos, song titles that were copyrighted. That I got year. a problem. Uh, that's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he reads a lot of information, so yeah. that's from his spreadsheet. We both have the spreadsheet, but it's, it's a his... Google spreadsheet, yeah. so it's just like a scorecard. You put the track list, and but, then you fill it out with all the information. But there's no scripting. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. So, uh, but we have a run of show, and you know, in advance, we both have the same spreadsheet. We both know the material, so we know what order we're going in, and. The research and the spreadsheet spark the conversation. Yeah. I probably only use like 20% of my research. Mm-hmm. It's more about the conversation to keep people, because if it gets too like, and then in 1985, it's like people tune out, you get bored, and you try to edit a lot of that out. Too. I edit some of that out, yeah. Yeah. Anything, ask us anything. Well, yeah, uh, first, it was interesting to hear that you guys edit the show, so deliberately i it made me feel better actually listening because when i heard the podcast for the first time i was almost like bewildered and like i (laughs) almost had an anxiety attack because i was like these guys are insanely 
eloquent people. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. It just kind of flew out. So it's interesting to hear that perspective. Uh, my question's about um, when we were like listening to the Paul McCartney clips, both of you guys in a composition background, Ryan, you in a music marketing background with modern music. One of the things I kept kind of thinking about was hearing those songs, the songwriting style of McCartney. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are a lot of dated tropes, you know, like it's a very different style of songwriting than what I'm sure you're kind of used to marketing now. And yeah. what, what, what I wanted to ask you guys is how do you see like having to go back through these long archives? Do you sense like a shift in because obviously he was such an influential songwriter, right? And he changed the way that melodies work, chords work, and everything like that, almost single-handedly for a while. And then, I mean, do you guys see where he kind of started his influence, kind of went, and then where it started to kind of fall? And like, how do you look at Paul McCartney's legacy as a writer in today's climate? About 1984 is when things <laughs> seem to seem to change when his relevance in the uh, in the world of music yeah. began to to slide a little bit, whatever that means, since he's still, you know, unlike anyone else, actually sells millions of units. But I don't know. Do you have a, a take on that? Yeah, I'd say around the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's that whole thing with the 80s. The 80s has a real sound. I don't think the 70s has uh, as centralized a sound as that. But there are the technologies in the 80s, they just seem to permeate everything. So by the end of the 80s, early 90s, Paul's albums are starting to sound kind of like everyone else's, at least the sonic surface. Big drums with a lot of percussion and, you know, kind of uh, slick synthesizers. And, and I think that's where the, where the big change starts to come, where he's, he's following the trends in a way that seems a little automatic. Like, oh, this sound is in now. I guess I'm supposed to be doing this, you know, a little bit. From all the research, early, early on, he was always... Paul wanted to know everything that was going on in culture. Like he was in London, and he'd go to this art opening and this play and all this. So he, in the Barry Miles book, he's talking about how he had his antenna out all the time. He was always taking in information. And then you're saying the '80s, he built a studio on his farm in Scotland. It's like '87 or something. And I think that's the line when he was recording in the country, and he wasn't recording in. LA or Nashville or wherever he wasn't in a city I think that's where he's out it is interesting though just to follow the trends you know around Paul I mean the show yeah that is interesting too yeah because if you hear silly love songs on your own you're like what the hell is that yeah (laughs) how where did this come from but if you look at the context of the music there is a context yeah that's the production style and so he was miming the production style but making his own thing on top of Mm -hmm. it hey this is a pretty basic question, but is mm. there a particular era you enjoyed talking about more than others? Yeah, the 70s. The 70s, yeah. 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 <laughs> Specifically, uh, 65 through 82, just in all of popular music. And in film, 65 had, through 82. Yeah. There's like a very specific period. He goes period. a little further into the 80s than I do. Who, me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the late 80s stuff. Something changes in 83 for me. 83 in your Right around 83, yeah. Ghostbusters in 1984. I keep going. Anyway, <laughs> there's something about Paul in the 70s. I think he could sing better than he could in when he was in the Beatles. Like in like 1976, all those live recordings. Mm-hmm. He's doing all that stuff and he's playing the bass guitar and not simple things like complicated riffs and stomping around. So I'm interested in that just from like a performance perspective. Just the 70s. He was really in his rich prime. Yeah, in the he's 70s. making weird records too. <clears throat> weird just records, like, yeah. The weirdest stuff. So yeah. that's 
That's the era. <laughs> so, Chris and Brian, first of all, congratulations on the huge success here. Thank Much you. So the question is, once you do get Paul McCartney sitting across from you, what is the second question you're going to ask him? <laughs> the second question we're going to ask After him. After how are you, sir? Yeah. Or please, are you going to sue us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd just sit there in silence for a long time, I guess, to see who made the first move. <laughs> right? What would you say? Because you need a little warm-up time before you ask about Cage yeah. or Water Spell. You'd probably be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what we already else? know what the answer is going to be. Uh, probably be so unimpressed. That's a tough question. Just like, yeah. uh, what, what, what? Well, it's a, yeah. you were so good at when you had Denny, you were talking about when you had Denny Lane, mm -hmm. you were really trying to like ask a question that he hadn't been asked mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Is there, what's, the, I mean, I, that's so hard with McCartney, but what is there, what, is there a, an approach that you could take that you think would... So I heard a rumor, and we talked about on the show, that when he was in jail, he wrote a book where he wrote all of it out, and it's sitting in a vault somewhere to be released when he's dead. That's a rumor. That's a just, I'd ask him if that was real. And can I, when can I read it? <laughs> it might be a little uh, strange to ask about a, about a particular song, but you know, we are generally interested in how, for every album... There seems to be at least another album's worth of material recorded for that. And I think we just kind of want to ask about the, the workaholic aspect of it. And right. like, how did you do all this stuff? How is it that you ended up with 25 songs to choose from for your 10-song album? And, and on the next album, you didn't even revisit any of them. You wrote another 25, 30 songs. I think we would just want to know about that pace of work yeah. and how that's possible. And well, Denny said that he was so famous that... He would, he would use his time in the studio to get away. Like he yeah. didn't want to be out getting interrupted. Yeah, Denny said the studio is the only place. Like we were in the studio all the time to get away from the crowds, basically. That's the one place you could be safe and do a little work. So I think they recorded a lot more than they might have for that reason. But we, yeah, we want to kind of get to the bottom of how is it possible to produce that much work at that level for that long. Yeah. Final question. We have time for one more. All right. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so I, uh, I am a fan, but I'm not even near your level, nowhere near your level of fandom. And I'm curious. I would just love to hear why, just in your words, like why you think his catalog is worthy of dissecting at this level. And I ask that with the knowledge that it can be like potentially a very offensive question. Like if someone asks me like, you know, why would you even bother dissecting Beyonce's catalog? Like, I'd lose my mind. But, like, okay. I, I would just, from, like, one music nerd to another, I'd mm -hmm. just love to hear, yeah, like, why? Why well, Macca? Why Macca? Well, why not? Ryan and I each have separate Paul McCartneys, so to speak. So I have some stuff that I know almost this much about. He has some stuff he knows about this much about, but for us both to know, that's the main thing. I mean, if I knew as much about Todd Rundgren as he does. Nobody wants If that. he knew as much about John Williams as I do. You know, we could have podcasts on those things. But as it is, uh, this is the one thing that we both have this depth of knowledge about. So there's a purely practical reason for that. But the, your question is more interesting than that, which is, you know, why is, why is Paul interesting? Again, it's an insane amount of work. Like, we can't wrap our heads around just how many songs, especially in the early 70s when he just seems manic, and he's writing great song after great song after great song and making fantastic recordings of them. So I think we just feel that the sheer volume of work 
obviously we think it's interesting work. We don't think every song is great or anything like that. But as a whole, it's just a, quite a treasure trove of material, much of which the public isn't really aware of. Because the public knows the albums, maybe. The hits, probably. They don't know that for every album, there's another 10, 15 songs fully recorded lying around. Right. So that's a lot of what we wanted to do, is kind of bring that out and you know, show there's so much more to it than you realize from just the public persona of, of McCartney. Like, this guy really was the guy in the Beatles who wrote all those songs, and he kept being that guy. It just wasn't always publicly obvious that he was still that guy. And he got torn up by the critics, and all the John Lennon people got got really worked up about Paul. And, you know, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, you know. Especially, we were talking about Ram earlier, and when Ram came out, it was it was slammed by Rolling Stone. And it was just what, like a... And all the other Beatles were talking about, oh, he's he's lost his mind. He's he's all these things, and but there is this critical reassessment of that record where people in the indie world and people in all kinds of like now they're like, this is amazing. This is just as good as a Beatles album, and so we're interested in that too. Like, what would Paul's career have been like if he got praise for that? Like, would something like Band on the Run have existed? Like, would like what 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 would have you can't know, but it's interesting to like ask and think but it, about it's it. It's so many nooks and crannies. Like if you did, let's say, Billy Joel or you did uh, Steely Dan, these guys, they put out an album of nine, ten songs. That's it. That's what they did, you know? Yeah. There's Paul McCartney no puts out an album of ten songs. There's a, another 20 songs he wrote. He, he had a free digging. weekend and he wrote 20 songs or something. You yeah. Know? So that's interesting, you know? It's a volume. And it's like, yeah, you were in the Beatles, and then you had another band, and it was just as big. Or was it big? Because there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of mystery behind it. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to us about yeah. this wonderful podcast. Thanks to you all for coming. Let's thank these guys one more time for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Realized by Ryan Brady. Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast is powered by Pippa.